today on Ag News Daily. It really depends on each individual. You know, the guys that we talk to, if you have nothing sold for soybeans for last year, then yeah, you want to step in and reward a 35 cent rally and sell something. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, coming to you from downtown Chicago, where we've got a little bit of rain, about 50-degree temps. I know we've got some snow squalls moving across the Midwest, putting a lot of combines back in the shed. And traveling through those squalls here very shortly is our own Delaney Howell, who is on the road today. Delaney, what is going on with you today? Yeah, I am on the road, Mike. As you mentioned there, I got to see all across Illinois and Iowa and Michigan, parts of Indiana, and parts of Canada over the weekend. So that has been interesting to see just the amount of crops still left in the field, especially up in the Ontario area of Canada. Well, give us a feel for it. Are we talking 5%, 10%, 50%? How much corn was left standing up there? Uh, I mean, I'm not good at guessing, but there were a substantial number of cornfields in Michigan and Ontario. That definitely surprised me. Like, I knew we were behind, but I guess I didn't expect to see that many cornfields. Gotcha. Yeah, a lot of producers are, I, are getting frustrated. Yeah, I definitely didn't see any bean fields still standing, so that looked pretty much done, but it was definitely just cornfields still left. All right. Well, Delaney, we've got some news in the world of agriculture before we get to our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Zaner Ag Hedge's own Ted Seifred. And, well, we're talking soybeans getting out of the field, of course, a lot of those beans and uh, other high-protein vegetable products are being used to make meat substitutes. And it was announced earlier today that Brazilian food processor Marfrig Global Foods is going to develop a global brand of plant-based, quote-unquote, meat products, according to a statement they sent out yesterday. They're going to unveil a gourmet, quote-unquote, hamburger, fake meat burger, to be served in Brazilian restaurants. That's what they're going to roll out first. It's going to be rolled out under the brand Revolution. And then next year, so in 2020, they expect those veggie burgers to be exported and sold uh, around the world as well as in local supermarkets in Brazil. This is a kind of a the final part of the Marfrig partnership with ADM, Archer Daniel Midland Company, to develop these processed vegetable meat products is what Reuters keeps calling them. Of course, we all know they are not meat. They are a weak meat substitute, but uh, certainly providing more demand for pulse crops, I would imagine, Delaney. Yeah, I'm interested to see how other countries' consumers react to these alternative meat products. Is it just something that's really popular in the U.S., or is it really something that's going to be globally an alternative protein source? I think that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that will be interesting. When we think about meat consumption, particularly beef consumption, uh, Argentina, I believe, is the only country that outranks the U.S., but Brazil is not far behind us. I mean, they've got a taste for beef and animal proteins. And yeah, I'm, I'm interested as well. Will their consumers adopt these fake meat products or will they get, you know, shoved into the waste bin of history where, uh, you know, a lot of folks in the livestock industries think they may belong? It will be interesting to see, that is for sure, Mike. But also turning our attention to south of the border and north of the border, actually, is what's going on in the USMCA front. It sounds like over the weekend we saw members of Mexico's Senate meet with members of our Senate to discuss the latest version. And it sounds like 
The Trump administration worked together to ratify USMCA and sent it officially to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi over the weekend for her proposed changes to the deal. And it sounds like now it's really in her court. Whether or not they're going to vote on it, I don't know. But it, Nancy Pelosi has the document in her grasp, so to speak. And I think it's kind of on her plate now to decide, is the Senate going to vote on it or what's going to happen next? Right. And in fact, earlier today, there was more announcements. So Nancy Pelosi, as you say, got the document yesterday after, uh, you know, Trump and the, the Mexican officials, you know, finished their coordination. Um, Nancy Pelosi then showed it to a lot of her constituencies that have had problems with the agreement. The key one being the president of the AFL-CIO, America's largest labor union, I do believe. Uh, the head, Richard Trumka, um, was in a conversation today with Nancy Pelosi, and he said the deal is done. Everybody on all sides of the political aisle seemed to be on board enough with USMCA to get the thing passed, but we don't have any votes scheduled. And of course, the House is, as we've continued to see today, fairly preoccupied with these impeachment hearings. Yeah, so it's just, I guess, so they said, you said it was done. They've, the Democrats have signed off on it, so to speak. Effectively, at least most of the Democrat constituencies have signed off on it. I don't know how many Democrat House reps have actually come forward and said we'd cast a yay vote yet. So I imagine Nancy's going to have to – or Ms. Pelosi, Rep. Pelosi, whatever, Speaker Pelosi, is going to have to sit down with her caucus and do a head count to see who all is actually going to vote for this thing. But there are powerful spokes on the left side of the aisle now also pushing for its passage. Well, speaking of putting things to a vote, Mike, we saw the European Commission ban the insecticide chlorpiferos, followed by a vote that happened this past Friday by its Standing Committee on Plants, Animals, Food, and Feed. So I believe now it's got to go before the full European Commission, but if it does pass, and it isn't expected to pass, we will see that insecticide taken off the table for their producers and growers come January and yeah. so basically any state or any country using that product will not be allowed to trade it with the EU but they do say there will be a short grace period of about three months before it's really a hard and fast you can't use it you can't send it over etc but that's coming right down the pipeline it seems it does and I my Understanding is, it certainly sounds as though this thing will get passed. Chlorpiferos has been uh, frowned upon in the EU for quite some time, as well as here in the U.S., but uh, the EU is definitely moving faster against it. But uh, that's good to hear about a window. It'll give folks a chance to use up whatever uh, of the insecticide they've got laying around the shed. Yes, and you can imagine that Corteva AgriSciences, along with some of the other big chemical companies, were not happy about this. And they said it denies the EU growers access to another key tool to protect their crops. Um, but that's the decision that we are likely going to see here. Right. Policymakers going to do policy just because yep. they got to fill their hours somehow, bunch of bureaucrats. And that's, that's true on all sides of the aisle. That is true. But I've got news. Speaking of bureaucrats, China's Ministry of Agriculture, this was reported last Thursday. It slipped underneath our radar, and I wanted to bring it up to our listeners' attention. China's Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs has officially issued a three-year plan to speed recovery of pig production after uh, African swine fever has ravaged that country's hog herd. Um, basically, what they're saying, 
their numbers are still not corresponding with private analysts' expectations. The, the Chinese government still is painting a rosier picture on what has happened to their hog herd over the past two years. But uh, they are saying their hog herd is down 41% from October a year ago. And they want to see in the next three years, basically the country, particularly the southeast uh, area of the country, home to, to Beijing and Shanghai and some of the more populous areas, they want them to be 70% sufficient in hog production three years from now. They think they're still going to see uh, declines in the hog herd as we roll throughout 2019, early part of 2020. But by the end of 2020, they want the hog herd to have stabilized and to begin to grow, which, you know, according to a lot of the experts I have had the chance to talk with and listen to, seems like an awfully optimistic scenario, given that we still don't have a cure or a treatment for ASF. Yeah, that seems like a very tall order to fill. And Mike, to follow up on some of that news, too, we saw the USDA and the U.S. Meat Export Federation release some of their data that showed in October the, really the huge demand that China has seen in buying U.S. pork products. We saw in October pork exports increased 8.5% year over year while export values rose 10% during that time. And then when you look at a bigger chunk of time there from January to October of this year, volume was 5% ahead of 2018's pace, while value increased about 3% to $5.8 billion. So I think the other concern here is, for lack of a better term, the hangover effect that the U.S. pork industry could see once China has ramped up their production and are not needing to import as much pork, who's going to, you know, cut through or chew through that meat? Are we going to do it domestically or are we going to see a huge lack of price support here in the U.S. for our U.S. pork producers? Great question. We don't need to see a whole lot of pork piling up in the freezer. In fact, I had a conversation about the pork markets and what to expect going forward with Zayner's um, Ted Seifred, and we'll be playing that here very shortly for our hashtag Market Monday segment. Um, we do have news also, a couple of stories out of China as they relate to soybeans. One, earlier today, China announced they bought 300,000 metric tons of soybeans for shipment shortly, which is good news. Definitely uh, helped promote uh, the soybean values today, even though they did sell off as we uh, got through midday. We did see that January soybean contract retreat to about half its earlier gains. However, we also saw news out of China that China's own soybean production production was up 13% in 2019. Uh, Granted, these are official Chinese figures, so take them with a grain of salt, but they are saying that production was up 18.1 million tons, and uh, planting area devoted to soybeans was up 11% after, after the central government began offering generous subsidies to farmers to grow soybeans. Again, that push for self-sufficiency that China has really been hot on since this trade war started. They really won't ever get to a point, though, you think, where they could be self-sufficient and not rely on very many ag imports from other countries, do you? Well, I mean, you never say never. Advances in genetics have certainly done a lot for production, not just in the U.S., but in China as well. But yeah, in the short term, they just don't have the arable land that we have to really become self-sufficient, especially if they do decide and are physically capable of getting their hog herd back up to where it was in 2018. Well, that will be interesting, that is for sure. And you said they're expecting to get their hog herd ramped up back by the end of 2020? Start regrowth or 
rebuilding should be starting by the end of 2020. They, okay. they predict it'll be at least 2023 mm-hmm. before their hog herd is back up to where it was. Okay. And again, that is a very optimistic right. uh, outlook. All right. Well, speaking of outlook, Mike, why don't you walk us through today's market outlook, starting with today's market closes? Let's do that. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. Folks, check them out. If you need some risk management or some protection in place, visit agmarket.net and uh, get their perspective. As we take a look, as I mentioned, we had strength in the soybean market, did persist throughout the day. We had weakness in corn and wheat yet again. In the corn market, the December contract was down three quarters of a cent at 365 and three quarters. The March down a penny to close at 375 and three quarters. In soybeans, the January contract well off the highs of the day, but did finish up seven and three quarters cents at 897 and a quarter. The March up eight to finish at 911 and three quarters. In Chicago, wheat December contract was down half a penny at 532 even. March down one and three quarters. Close the day at 5.22 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, mixed trade in the cattle complex with the February live cattle down 22 and a half cents at 124.75. The April up a nickel. Finished the day at 125.40. Mixed trade continues in feeder cattle. That January contract was off two and a half cents on the day. Closed at 141.52.50. The March up 60. Finishing at 142.27.50. And weakness in lean hogs today. The December contract was down a dollar twelve half to close at sixty dollars even. February down 85 cents, finish at 66.70. And of course, can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Slate weakness today in the Class 3 milk complex. December contract down 2 cents at 19.53. The January down a penny. Close the day at 18.61. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Mr. Ted Seifert for our hashtag Market Monday conversation. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Market Monday, I am back in downtown Chi-Town with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ted Seifer, the chief market strategist here at the Zaner Ag Hedge uh, group, although we're not the group anymore. We're just Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted's going to chat with me. Ted, we got to jump off here. we got to start talking about this soybean rally. We're, what, four days into it? We're up 33 cents off the low. How much longer can this thing fly? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Right now we've got, you know, a really... V bottom. So I don't know that that's technically supportive of a longer term bottom act, bottoming activity. Uh, but we've had uh, Chinese buying recently. Here today, we saw uh, that China bought at least three hundred thousand metric tons uh, of soybeans, and you know they, that comes after the news on Friday that they were allowing for some waivers uh, for the tariffs and soybeans and pork. So that's good news. Um, you know, and soybeans I think had gotten too low, so we were due for a recovery, and we're in the process of seeing that. Longer term, I think there's more upside potential for soybeans, but with a December WASDE report, which probably won't show much of anything, and uh, just for the fact that we've had a, a, an aggressive bounce off the low, I wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a pullback in here somewhere. Um, but, you know, I do think the lows are in for soybeans, and I think we have more upside potential going forward. If we do see a pullback in beans, especially these front-month beans, I, do you think from a technical perspective we've got to drop all the way back down to where that V-bottom was to establish a little bit more support at that area? Or can we find like a happy happy medium ground? Yeah, I don't think we have to go back down to those lows. We could, uh, but I don't think we have to. Uh, I think if we saw a 10 to 15 cent retracement, that'd be an interesting place for buyers to come back and step into the market again. For growers who are right now working on dealing with uh, yeah, end-of-the-year sales, getting some cleanups done, maybe bean yields were a little bit greater than they anticipated, they got some stored, is this a bounce you want to make some cash sales on, or, or do you want to do what you can to extend ownership a little longer? 
Yeah, you know, it really depends on each individual. You know, the guys that we talk to, if you have nothing sold for soybeans for last year, then yeah, you want to step in and reward a 35 cent rally and sell something, you know, especially if basis is good at the moment. So yeah, it depends on the individual. But I do have some guys that were selling on this bounce here today. Um, but we already had reownership strategies in place. And so we were set up for something like that. I think if you didn't have anything going on from a marketing perspective, you hadn't sold any old crop, you didn't have any reownership strategies, you're just starting from scratch. Yeah, I would think I, I would probably sell 10 to 15% of my old crop or, or last year's uh, soybean crop <clears throat> just based on the idea that what if we don't get a trade deal or whatever. Uh, but, you know, hopefully you're farther along than that. Hopefully, you know, that's not your situation. But like I said, that's why we talk to each one of our, our producers individually and learn their situation as best we can and then advise them from that standpoint. Right. It's tough to make a blanket recommendation when everybody's cash flow and, and bottom line needs are so different. Right. Absolutely. That's why we don't do that, you know. But uh, it really depends on your situation, what your basis looks like, you know, so on and so forth. Well, no, let's talk a little bit more broadly here in the grain complex. We've seen a 35-cent rally in soybeans. Corn has done nothing. Dead. Corn has just flopped along here. That 380 is sort of a magnet for this corn uh, market. What's it going to take for us to get a move out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I'd say this. Um, the second half of November was really highlighted by soybeans being under pressure while corn was very sideways uh, to higher. And, you know, looking back, it seems pretty obvious that what we were seeing was we were seeing a lot of these, uh, uh, the speculators, the speculative crowd, wanting to sell soybeans, but then also wanting to have some sort of trade deal hedge against that. And so what we were seeing was they were selling soybeans fairly aggressively, and soybeans were down day after day, and they were buying corn. Um, now what we've seen in the beginning of December is sort of that flip the script completely. So as they're getting out of their short bean positions, they're also having to get out of some of their long corn positions, and that's kept corn under a little bit of pressure um, or, or just sideways. Uh, but I think corn is building a base here to move higher. I think corn is going to start going higher. And what's the catalyst for that? I don't know. Uh, I would say that we're probably past the, the peak demand concerns. Uh, we are starting to see export sales get a little better. The U.S. dollar is off its highs. I think that export sales are going to get quite a bit better as South America runs out of their old crop stocks, um, as, as the Ukraine gets less aggressive on their sales. Um, so I see that getting better. I think the ethanol thing, while it's not significantly better, uh, I think the worst of that is behind us. And I really think the USDA is very understated on feed demand. So, hmm. you know, I think there's a number of things that will start to come together for corn, not any one thing in particular, uh, to give us an idea that we'll see higher prices. Also, once we get the December report out of the way, we'll start talking about the January report and what changes might be coming there. And one of the reasons why the USDA is still higher than, I'd say, a lot of people on their yield is because of their average ear weights. And that is the one that's really coming into question here on a harvest, everybody talking about really low test weights. Mm -hmm. If that gets adjusted by the USDA, that'll have a, a fairly profound effect on, on what their yield would be and therefore production and ending, ending stocks numbers as well. So I think the trade will get a bit excited about that before we get into that January report. All right, Ted. And on the wheat side, anything to look out for there? Just this strong US dollar continuing to hamper that, uh, that Chicago market? 
Well, again, I mean, the U.S. US dollar is off of its highs and looks to be kind of struggling here to hold support. So I'd say that's a fairly beneficial factor for the wheat going forward. The other thing, too, for wheat is that, you know, we've talked about for years that, you know, with the amount of wheat that we have in the world, we're going to need to see a production issue in one, two, or three of the major producing areas. Well, we actually kind of have that. I mean, Australia is slashing their expectations. Um, Argentina is slashing their expectations. Uh, they need rain in the Black Sea area, Ukraine and Russia. Um, so, yeah, I think we have a bit of a story in wheat right now. I think wheat is just kind of you know, pulling back off those recent highs just for technical reasons. But ultimately, I think wheat can still go higher yet. Well, that is probably good news to a lot of our listeners out there who are wheat producers who have been, you know, just frustrated this year, along with everybody else in the uh, the commodity business. Uh, looking out at the world of livestock, Ted Seifert, the other big announcement on Friday was that uh, waivers will be issued for Chinese import tariffs on soybeans as well as pork. And we saw pork gap higher at the open on Friday, proceeded to sell off throughout the day. Today, we've seen that sell off accelerate. The trade just not thinking we're going to get those shipments into China. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we've been talking about selling China more pork, and we, we've kind of done that to an extent. Um, but the fact of the matter is that we've got a ton of supply. We've got big weights. We've got record kills. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of pork up front. And in order to really get the pork or the hog market to rally, we need to see cash hogs start trading higher. And that just hasn't happened. You know, the the increase in export sales business hasn't been enough to offset the increase in production. So um, that really leaves us very limited as what we can do on the board. And, you know, when I look at hogs right now, uh, we've been very sideways, you know, with the, the poor reaction or the poor finish that we had on Friday. It, felt, it, it seemed very likely that we were going to be down pretty significantly today. I'm actually surprised we weren't down more. Um, but it really feels like we're, we're going to be trading sideways here in the hogs for a little while until we see cash move higher and then we can maybe try to rally. But you know, I feel like we found a, a sort of a value zone in hogs, and I think we're going to trade at these levels for some time, maybe build a bigger base. You know, a value zone's a great way to put it. We have huge supply, but we do see the consumer at these prices out there. Grocers are, are featuring pork a lot. Apparently, they are able to move it, but you're right. They're just concerned about moving it at higher prices, it sounds like. Yeah, no, I mean, you need that demand, and low prices are, are you know, they stimulate demand. So we're doing that, and that's good. Um, but ultimately, you know, I mean... Here in the United States, we have a thing for beef uh, mm -hmm. and chicken as well. So it's not like uh, in China where, you know, pork is our main protein. Um, so, yeah, no, it's good that the domestic demand is good. And domestic demand is good. You know, cutoff values are good. Uh, but we have a lot of supply. So, yeah, supply versus demand. We're, we're, we're kind of where we're at, where we need to be um, until we actually see a ton of pork going out to China and our upfront supplies shrinking because of it. I don't see a reason why we need to go sharply higher right now. Now, you mentioned the U.S. is a thing for beef. We have certainly seen that in beef demand throughout this entire year. Domestic demand has really been driving that market as well as the interruptions in trade flows as, as more of that uh, cheaper foreign beef is being shipped into China. Ted, we saw an incredible rally post uh, Tyson fire down there in Kansas. We capped that thing out at, at what, 125, 127 here in the in the nearbys. And uh, since then, we've kind of pulled back. We had a little bit of a bounce. Where do you see us going in the next couple of weeks on the live cattle side? Well, we haven't done anything to, to hurt a chart for live cattle. <clears throat> as far as the bull market is concerned, we're still in it. We're, we're consolidating here. Um, and which way we go from here? I mean, look, most of the analysts are going to say that there's a lot of downside potential for cattle and that we're rolling over to the downside. But we've been hearing that for the last two weeks, and it just really hasn't happened. 
speculators, funds, they've been buying dips. If they continue to do that, it's going to be really hard to get that big pullback. Uh, yeah, you can argue that we are trading uh, at a pretty significant premium to cash right now. Okay, but I would say that's a reflection of the speculative makeup of the market as well. And cash held pretty strong last week. We saw a lot of 119s trade. Uh, box beef prices, while they've cooled down a little bit, they're still really rather strong. Packers margins are very strong, which to me suggests that there is more room to the upside for the cash market. And if that's the case, then I think uh, we'll still take another shot at highs in the futures market as well. I'm not convinced that this rally is over in cattle quite yet. Uh, that being said, I think it's a good time for producers who, you know, if you don't have anything sold, you've got to be looking at doing that, right? Uh, so you do want to protect the downside. You want to be watching closely for this rolling over or big correction to the downside that everybody's talking about. Um, but I guess I'm not as worried about it as, as what some people might be. I still think there's more upside potential. Ted, for those listeners out there who maybe do need to put a, manage, a marketing plan together, maybe they do need to take some risk off the table in either the soybeans, corn, cattle, wheat, lean hogs, and you name it, crude oil, metals markets, you're a bit of a player in all of that here at Zaner. Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, either on Twitter or uh, on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can also find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. And as you mentioned, I am active on the Twitter, uh, and I am at the TED spread. So check that out if you get a chance. Fantastic. Ted Seifert, thanks so much for taking the time to fill us in today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Mike. Have a good one. grabbing Ted today for that great Market Monday conversation, but we always have great conversations here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, so folks, if you'd like to listen to any of our past conversations, find us at agnewsdaily.com or check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify to listen to our past episodes. Absolutely, and visit us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we shall be there. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.